Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. 11 o'clock service. We are in the Gospel of... Matthew. We've been in Matthew for four or five months now, so it's going to take a while to get through the, all of the Gospel of Matthew. And we've been in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And today we are actually turning the page, not only literally, but also figuratively, because what we're going to see is Jesus is now going to take us into another dimension of the kingdom of God. You know, the first uh, first couple of chapters, starting with the uh, Beatitudes. You remember the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes were, um, the, the idea is, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are persecuted. Best, but th those are Beatitudes. And most of these were having to do with how we internalize, how we internalize the kingdom of God, uh, which is wonderful. Giving, prayer, fasting. Now, one of the things that Jesus did at, through the first couple chapters here, chapters 5 and 6, is Jesus continued to say, you've heard it said, right? And then he'd give you a moral platitude and he would take it up a step. He would say, but I tell you, and he would actually raise the bar. Now, he did that for two reasons. One is to let us understand that these moral imperatives are important. God wants us to live a, to be a different people. He wanted us to live a, a moral life, not only for our own benefit, also to be uh, the light on the hill. Jesus said it would be salt and light, and this is the way we do it, by living a life that's holy and pleasing to God. At the same time, Jesus said this. He said, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I think I explained to you that when we read that, sometimes we pass it over because we know the Pharisees as hypocrites. But actually, while that's true, they were also trying very hard to live a, a moral life. For the people in Jesus' day to say that you needed to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees was almost impossible. And that was Jesus' point. That was exactly his point. Because we need Jesus. And today we're going to find, uh, my, the topic of my message is called The Way. The Way. And we're going to be in 14 verses. I don't usually do 14 verses, do I? Usually I do what? Two, three, sometimes one, maybe five. Today we're going to do 14, 14 verses. But it's, but it's a different type. Um, one of the things we're going to find is that, you know, Jesus has talked about giving and prayer and fasting and materialism, but now he wants to turn the page and there's going to be a different mindset. He's going to talk a little bit about and give us some instructions on how we're to be living with regard to other people. How do we interact with other people? And the way he's going to frame this is as we journey, as we're on our way. Now, one of the things I'm going to do is a little bit different is uh, I usually go through all the verses, right? One, two, three, four, 14 verses. That's a lot of verses. So have you ever bought a book and flipped to the last chapter uh, yeah. to see who done it? You know, you just flip right to the end. That's what we're going to do today. Instead of reading all of these verses up front, we're going to go right to the meat. We're going to go right to who done it. We're going to go to verses 13 and 14. You've got it in your bulletin. It's also on the screen. We're going to find out a little bit about the way. Jesus says this in verse 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate. 
For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, you've read these things before, right? I mean, you've read these, you understand where there's two different paths, two different ways. One is broad, a lot of people go that way, but it leads to what? It leads to destruction. And Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. It's, it's a little bit more difficult, but it leads to, to eternal life. You know, scholars understand that Jesus gave this sermon probably around six months after he called his apostles, at the beginning of his public ministry, which lasted about, about three years. Uh, this is somewhere around 27, 28 AD. And the reason I say that is because Paul, at that time called Saul, goes out to persecute these new disciples, right? And the historians take that to be around 34 AD, meaning seven years. Seven years after the Sermon on the Mount, there are Christians that are out there that are numerous enough that Saul decides he's going to persecute them. And I want to read this to you, and I want you to listen for the word, the way. It says, this is Acts chapter 9, verse 2. It says, He, Saul, asked letters from him, the high priest, to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, this word, the way, is mentioned seven times in the, in the Acts of the Apostles. Seven times. This is, the, this is how the Christians were first known. Long before they were called Christians, before we had Methodists and Presbyterians and Baptists and Catholics, long before that, they were called the people of the way. They belonged to the way. Now, Saul eventually became the great apostle Paul. He was a follower of the way as well. But in Acts 19, uh, Paul, it says, Paul preached to the synagogue, but some of the Jewish men came out and became stubborn, rejecting Paul's message and publicly speaking against the way. There's that word again. Like I said, it's used seven times in the Acts of the Apostles. You know, these two words, the way, and this little history lesson that I'm giving you today is important to me uh, for one particular reason. Uh, when, when I first became a, a believer in Jesus Christ, and I needed to get a Bible, I went to a Bible bookstore. Remember the Bible bookstores? I love the Bible bookstores. We actually owned one for a while. Um, and I bought a Bible. It was the way. It was a living Bible, and this is, a, this is not the actual Bible. I don't know what happened to my Bible. I, I try to give them away before I, they, they get destroyed. I try not to lose them. I try to give them to somebody. Hopefully, I gave it to somebody, and it was beneficial to them. But this, is, this is, looks exactly like the Bible. It was, it was actually published first in 1972. I bought it around 1980, and I liked it because not only was it a paraphrase, meaning it was easy to understand, it also had pictures in it. Did, did anybody have one of these Bibles? Yeah. David had one, okay. You had one over here? You had one? I, I, it had pictures of it, and the pictures were all young people. They were smiling, they were laughing, they were college students and young people. And at the time, I was young, okay? Now, you laugh because all of us were young at one time, right? And, and so this, this way rings, rings true to me because this is the initial Bible I had. It was, it was called uh, The Way. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about, I'm going to take you down history uh, trail here and just talk a little bit about the, the, about the way. During his trial before Felix, for example, Paul said, I admit that I worship the God of our, father, our, our ancestors as a follower of the way, which is called uh, a sect. Uh, at that time, 
the early Christianity, these people of the way, were considered a sect of the Jews. The first 7, 15, 20 years, the vast majority of the early believers were, were Jewish. Uh, they, they still went to their synagogues, but believe, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They were completed Jews, as we would say today. Uh, they were followers of the way. They believed in Jesus. Now, many scholars believe that the reason they were called the way is because of what Jesus said in chapter 14 of John. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, which is possibly true, and I think that's true. Uh, in either way, Jesus is, is giving us... <laughs> Uh, in this, in this, in this, in verses 13 and 14 today, another way of understanding the way. We understand the ways as being two alternatives. One that is broad that leads to destruction. The other one that is narrow that leads to eternal life. Two paths, two alternatives, two worldviews. Two worldviews. Now, one of the things we want to uh, understand is that when Jesus says the path is narrow and, and is the way is difficult, it leads to life. Uh, we have to understand that Jesus is not talking about how we earn salvation. Not at all. Uh, our, we don't earn salvation through a pathway. We've earned we don't earn salvation at all. Salvation is a free gift of God. It's the grace of God that saves us. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, the Bible says, lest anyone should boast. Uh, the Bible is full of encouragement that it's Jesus' death on the cross that saves us. That's what saves us. That's what pays the uh, price for our sins. That's why Jesus said your righteousness to, it needs to exceed that of the Sadducees and Pharisees. It's impossible, but not with Jesus, because it's his righteousness that gives you eternal life. In Titus, Paul writes to Titus and says, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. It's the grace of God that does it. It's not the path, but Jesus is telling us that there's an entrance to this kingdom of God. And you have an alternative. And you can choose a broad way to go, but don't go that way because it leads to destruction. That's the way of the world. Instead, you need to choose the narrow gate, the narrow doorway. Because even though that road is difficult, that is the path that God wants you on. It's going to be full of persecution. Don't get me wrong. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. We see that all of the early apostles, all of them, with the exception of John, died a martyr's death. It was a difficult way, but it was the correct way. It's the entrance. A uh, scholar and uh, theologian D.A. Carson, who's one of my favorites, he, he used to teach at Trinity Evangelical School, said this regarding these verses. He says, Jesus is not encouraging committed disciples or Christians to press on along a narrow way and be rewarded at the end with eternal life. No. He is rather commanding his disciples to enter the way marked by persecution and thereby being rewarded at the end. So the idea is this, is that's not how we earn our salvation, but that's the path that we're on. And we're going to see it today, especially in these other verses. I started with verse 13 and 14, but we'll go back. I know you're going to be happy that I go back and cover all of the other verses as well. You're going to see in these verses that this path that we're on, this narrow way, even though it's a difficult way, there are blessings along it. This is the path that we need to take. In the New Testament, the Greek word for way is the word hodos, hodos. Greek is a lot easier to pronounce than Hebrew, hodos. Uh, in the New Testament, it's translated as a way, a traveled road, a journey. It's also a manner of thinking, a feeling or deciding. It's the same way that we use the, the idea of a way today. So let's take a look at these ways that we look at 
way. So for example, we say that the way is a traveled road. And we see this back in the Gospel of Matthew very, very early. And speaking of Joseph, the protector of Jesus, the husband of Mary. It says this, it says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, remember the story? They returned to, to their country by another way. It wasn't an easy way. The easy way would have gone directly through Jerusalem, but the angel of the Lord warned them not to go that way because Herod was there. Instead, he had to go around about it. It was more difficult, but it was the appropriate way. Um, in Acts chapter 26, Paul is talking with King Agrippa, and he speaks of his encounter of meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he says, about noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road, that word road there is hodos, or the way, I was on the way, and I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. Now, this is the road to Damascus, and I love that verse because when we talk about the narrow way, that's exactly what it is. It was the narrow way that Paul first met Jesus. He wasn't on the way to meet Jesus. He was on the way actually to persecute the followers of Jesus. But who met him? Jesus met him on that way. You see, God is the one that interrupted Saul. Saul would eventually become the great apostle Paul. But it wasn't because of what Saul did. It was because of what God did. God interrupted Saul's way and became his Lord and Savior. Paul would later say, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Paul was beaten by many stripes. He was persecuted, but he was on the correct way. He was on the road that Jesus had planned for him. This is what Jesus is referring to as a choice a choice of the gate that we enter by the narrow gate, which is a narrow way, a persecuted way, but it leads to life. Let's take a look and see another way that the way is translated. It's translated as a journey. And one of the ways we see this is in the uh, Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. Remember the story? So, so Philip, the apostle to, to Jesus Christ, uh, is up in Antioch, and there's an Ethiopian eunuch, a, a servant of Candace, meaning that he he's, has a lot of power, has a lot of authority, he's sitting in a chariot, and he's reading uh, the, the, the book of Isaiah. And the, the angel of the Lord nudges Philip to go up alongside the chariot and interact with the Ethiopian eunuch. And as Philip gets close to him, he realizes he's reading the book of Isaiah, and he says, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I understand unless somebody explains it to me? So Philip climbs up onto the chariot with him and starts telling him about Jesus. It says, so Philip, the scriptures say, preached Jesus to him. And when they came to some water, the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Verse 37, it says, then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Verse 38 continues, it says, So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and eunuch went down into the water. Philip baptized him. Now when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. I got to tell you, I have baptized a lot of people in a lot of water. I mean, we used to baptize hundreds of people down in the Atlantic Ocean, down in South Florida. I never saw any of us get carried away. I mean, it never happened. Now, I got to tell you, there was once I was, we were, we, there'd always be two pastors. Okay, two pastors, no waiting, right? So we'd have two pastors. People would come out to the water. We'd get out about waist deep into the water in the Atlantic Ocean. And it was a rough, 
a rough day. And those are horrible days because the waves are crashing in. And, and all of a sudden I said, look out. And this wave just crashed over all three of us. And this girl who we were baptizing said, am I baptized? And I said, no, you're just wet. <laughs> you're just wet. So, but, so it says, so the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way, hodos, he went on his way rejoicing. You see, this is a perfect example of the journey that we're on when we select the narrow way. When we go through the narrow gate, it's a way of rejoicing. The, the, the Jesus is preached to him. You understand the gospel. You're baptized and you're on this journey. And it's a wonderful journey for those of you that have been walking and following the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years or more. It's a wonderful journey. It doesn't mean that there's not bumps and difficulties in it. You'll be fighting some persecution. You're going to have some difficulties. Some neighbors are going to look at you cross-eyed and wonder exactly why you think you're holier than anybody else. But, but it's a wonderful way. God meets you along the way. And, and it's a way of, of rejoicing. Let's go on. The third way, the way is referred to as a matter of thinking, feeling, or deciding. And I, and I think all of us can understand this. this I'm going to read you a little bit from the uh, Acts of the Apostle. Um, it's, a, it's a story about a man named Apollos. Apollos was a preacher, but he didn't know the way of the Lord very well. It says this, it says, Apollos, this is Acts chapter 18, he says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him alongside and explained the way, hodos, the Greek word, of God more accurately. You ever have that happen to you? You know, you're in church and, and all of a sudden somebody gets up and starts talking about something and as they start talking you're saying, what are they talking about? I mean, I've never heard that scripture quite explained that way, okay? And what happens is after the service, the pastor kind of takes that person alongside and they explain the way of the Lord a little bit more accurately. And you see, you see I love this, you know. Apollos, Apollos was, was trying to preach the Lord, but he had to have his way corrected. There was a better way, a better of understanding of who the Lord was. Um, the use of the way is referred to the faith many times of the early believers. It's used many more times. It's used many more times than the word Christian. I, and I love this idea that it's a way, it's a journey, it's a path, it's a way of thinking that, that takes us and explains to us the way of the Lord, more accurately. Uh, let's go back to the rest of the scriptures today. I told you that I would go all the way back to verse 1, and we're going to go through all of them. You won't be shortchanged at all. <laughs> Verses 1 and 2 says this. It says, Judge not that you will not be judged, for with the judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's verses 1 and 2. You know, these two verses, I got to tell you, are probably the most misunderstood or misquoted verses of all, the, of all of them in the Bible. The, most, the person that's most likely to quote this are people that are not believers. And they're speaking it to you. They're saying, how can you judge me? You can't judge me. Doesn't your scripture say, didn't Jesus say, don't judge? You're not supposed to judge me. So they're using it incorrectly because even though Jesus is saying, don't judge, that doesn't mean that there's no difference, Okay. I mean, no, don't judge means I want you to love. I want you to love. I want you to accept people. But when we accept people that aren't walking on the same way we are, doesn't mean that we accept their differences, that we, we embrace their error. 
we embrace their sin. You can embrace the person without embracing their sin. The old saying is we, we love the sin and we hate the, we, we, we hate the sin and we love the, we love the sinner, right? We love the sinner and hate the sin. So this is what Jesus is talking about. We love people who do things that we don't actually approve of, okay? But the issue is this. is Jesus says the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. That's a powerful motivation, actually, for us to love others, for to us to embrace them. To, to provide them unconditional love. You know, Billy Graham always said, come just as you are. Just come just as you are. Because Jesus, you know, Jesus loved you. You were saved when you were still a sinner. And it really doesn't matter what kind of sin you're involved. It's all sin. It all separates you from God. That's exactly what Jesus was doing in chapters 5 and 6 of the Sermon on the Mount. He was raising the bar saying, you've got to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So love the sinner hate the sin. Let's go on. Verses three through five. Verses three through five. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? I love this. How can you say to your brother, "Let me remove the speck from your eye"? And look, the plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, Jesus is illustrating this idea kind of humorously of the speck in your eye and your brother's eye that you're trying to remove. You're trying to correct them. You're trying to be, to be very circumspect about somebody else's life. But you've got all kinds of flaws yourself. You know, that's why we have mirrors in our house, right? When, when you leave your bathroom, you always check your mirror. In fact, in our apartment, we had a big mirror on our wall for a while, and I miss it. Because I would be, before I left the house, I could look at the mirror. I mean, just, just last week, it was Easter service, and I had my little name tag on. And on the name tag, it was flipped over this way. Now, my wife said, nobody notices that. And that's probably true. But I noticed it. After I saw the video and I'm looking at myself, it's like, oh my goodness, I should have looked at myself in the mirror. That's called self-inspection. And Jesus is saying, be careful. You might have a plank in your eye. Socrates is supposedly the author of a saying that says the unexamined life is not worth living. You know, that's why we have mirrors in our house. We examine ourselves. Jesus says you need to have a mirror for your soul. You need to examine yourself before you start criticizing others because often you've got something wrong with yourself that you need to first remove before you have the ability to correct anybody else. Let's go on. Verse 6 says, I like this, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and, and turn and tear you to pieces. Unusual verse, right? Jesus doesn't usually speak like this, right? Doesn't talk about swine and pearls and dogs and tearing you to pieces. It's a, it's a difficult way, but actually, um, it's not that difficult to understand. Jesus said something very similar to his disciples when he was sending them out. Remember, Jesus sent out the 72 by 2, and he said this. He said, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. See, this is a reminder that as you're on the narrow way, as you're on this path, this journey, there are some people that aren't going to like you. And you can continue to witness to them, you can continue to share with them, you can continue to love them, but sometimes, we have a saying in English, sometimes you just need to cut bait, right? You need to cut bait. You've been fishing too long 
for the one soul, and it's not going to happen. Sometimes Jesus says, don't throw your pearls before, before swine. Love the person, but ultimately there's going to be some people that just aren't going to come around. And sometimes you just need to shake the dust off your feet and, and, to, and to move on. It's, a, it's unfortunate. Keep on loving the person. You can keep on praying for the person. But, uh, but don't take that kind of abuse. You don't need to take that kind of abuse. Just, just move on. Let's go on. Verses 7 and 8. This is about prayer. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and he who knocks, it will be opened. This is verse 7 and 8. You know, the, the people that enter through the narrow gate, the people that have been chosen, uh, have chosen this way, um, need to pray. And Jesus gives us three active verbs. These are action words, right? Ask, seek, Knock. These are things that, are, that show act, action. And they're actually progressive when you think about it. I mean, I just think about my own life and what I typically do. If I, if I need a volunteer to do something, I'll just ask them. I'll say, David and Pat, do you mind if you come to 11 o'clock? Just a simple ask, right? It's simple to ask. But you need to ask in order to have your request fulfilled. And if that's not enough, Jesus says, then seek. Go one step further. Seek. Find a way. Find a way to make it happen. You just seek. And if seeking isn't enough, then you, need to, then you need to knock on some doors. And Jesus is saying, when you pray with your heavenly Father, you need to be sometimes insistent. But your Father hears you. You want to ask, you want to seek, you want to knock. It says, so everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be Opened. You know, Jesus gave us in chapter 6 the Lord's Prayer. And he said, he told us a lot about prayer. He said, for example, when you pray, don't make a show of it. Don't pray in public to be seen by others. Go to your room and pray in public. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. But Jesus is now saying you can be persistent in prayer. There's an intensity, a passion that you have to have sometimes on the way. Because the way is a difficult way. It's a narrow way. It's a difficult road to sometimes be on. And it's going to be a difficult time, and you need to be able to be persistent in prayer. And sometimes it's just, just a simple ask. Sometimes you really need to seek, or you need to start knocking on the throne of God in order for God to be able to hear you. But I love this. The next verse tells us the answer why we do this. Verses 9 through 11. Jesus says, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will be given a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You, you see, Jesus is telling us that along the way, we need to pray. And then he gives the example of your own earthly father. Now, Hopefully, most of us understand what it means to have a, a loving father. I had a loving father. My, my father rarely raised his voice to me. My father was encouraging and very supporting. And like I said, he really didn't yell too much until he got over 80, but I think that kind of goes with age. Maybe you can agree. But, but I, mean, he, I mean, he was loving. I understand what that means. So Jesus is saying, if your father, okay, your earthly father, if, you, if your son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Of course not. 
These are rhetorical questions. Earthly fathers don't do that. Even those of the, our earthly fathers that are not worth much don't do that. How much more will your heavenly father give, 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 give good gifts to those who ask of him? I love this. In Luke chapter 11, there's another account of the Sermon on the Mount. It's obvious that the Sermon on the Mount was a sermon that Jesus gave not only once, but all multiple times, because the wording sometimes changes. And this is what it says in Luke 11. It says, so if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Don't miss what Jesus is saying. One of the things we can be praying for is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's the comforter. It's the Holy Spirit that comes alongside you. It's the Holy Spirit that gives you the gifts that you need so that as you're walking along the way, you're able to do the things that God is asking you to do. It's the Holy Spirit that started this process off. If we're saved by grace through faith, the giver of the grace is none other than the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we are actually temples of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost comes and resides in us. And that's the, the Holy Spirit that comes into our life when we choose the narrow gate, when we choose the narrow way. It's the Holy Spirit that comes alongside us to be able to walk us on this way. Let's finish up. Jesus says in verse 12, he says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. This is kind of a paraphrase of the golden rule, right? I mean, the golden rule is actually given three or four times at different forms, and this is just one example of them. Um, you know, the, if you remember, there was an a, 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 a expert in the law that came to Jesus, and he tested him. And he said, this is Matthew 22, which commandment is the greatest of the law? And Jesus declared, and he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the way. Jesus summarized it for you. He said, it's really quite easy to remember. Love God Love your neighbor. That's the way you're on. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, while Je Jesus summarized your neighbor, it didn't make it any, any easier, right? The way is still difficult. It's still a narrow way, and it's going to be faced with persecutions and difficulties. That's why we pray. That's why we serve God. That's why we ask the Father to give us the Holy Spirit. That's why we ask and we seek and we knock. But this, this law, loving God and loving our neighbors, is a great way of summarizing the way. Jesus knew that those that choose the way would enter through the narrow grate would face difficulties. We will face challenges. It's not an easy way, but it's the right way. Jesus, however, promises that he will not only answer our prayers, ask, seek, and knock, but he would also give us good things, including the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.